Welcome to Lessons for Living Television. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. On February the 15th, 1947, Glenn Chambers boarded a plane bound for Quito, Ecuador to begin his ministry in missionary broadcasting. Sadly, he never arrived. In a horrible moment, the plane carrying Chambers crashed into a mountain peak and spiraled downward. Later, it was learned that before leaving the Miami airport, Chambers wanted to write his mother a letter. Well, all he could find for stationery was a page of advertising on which was written the single word, why? Well, around that word, he hastily scribbled a final note. After Chambers' mother learned of her son's death, his letter arrived in the mail. She opened the envelope, took out the paper, unfolded it, and staring her in the face was the question, why? Well, the curious, as well as the critics of Christianity, ask this question. If God is all-powerful, all-loving, then why does he permit evil and suffering in the world? Why do people get cancer? Why are there earthquakes that destroy entire cities? Why do people have to work so hard just to have enough money to barely feed their families? Well, subconsciously, we, we ask these questions ourselves. Like, why do bad things happen? Why isn't this world just a better place? Well, Jesus tells us a story in Matthew chapter 13, and down at verse 24. He talks about a field, and it was perfectly tilled and prepared for seed. And he pictures a good man who had planted the seed in the field. And that man was looking forward to an abundant harvest. But at some time later, one of his servants discovered that weeds had popped up everywhere in this wheat field. And so he raises a question, Matthew chapter 13, verse 27. Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? Well, that's the question we all face at some point in our life. If God is good, if he made this world to blossom for his children, why do we see so many tragic weeds? Well, in the parable, Jesus answered that question, and he answered it in a very simple way. In verse 28, he simply says, an enemy has done this. You see, friends, God didn't sow sickness, suffering, and death. The Bible says an enemy of God came in the night and in the midst of God's good seed sowed the seeds of destruction. Now, who is this enemy? Well, I want to tell you about a conflict outlined in the book of Revelation that can overshadow anything we as human beings can imagine. In fact, the book of Revelation tells us that war broke out in heaven 
combat erupted in paradise. Angel armies lined up for a dramatic showdown. Now, some are thinking, how in the world can you have war in heaven? Seems impossible, but it happened. Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And that great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. War in heaven, can you imagine? I mean, it's strange that war should break out in the most holy place of heaven's sanctuary. I mean, God's throne is the last place one would expect a fight, but God's throne was actually the focus of the battle. Possession of the throne was the issue. Two groups battled, the dragon and his angels, Michael and his angels. Well, the dragon is Satan, the devil. The Hebrew word for Michael means who is like God. It's Jesus. Now, typically, this brings up some perplexing questions. Before we ask, why was there a war in heaven? Now, many people ask, well, what was the dragon doing in heaven in the first place? Why was Satan in heaven? Where did he come from? Where did this demon creature, this dragon creature, this, this Satan actually come from? And what does the Bible mean when it says Satan was cast out to the earth? You mean to tell me was the earth created as a dumping place for Satan? And why didn't God just do something about this rebel angel, this angel who disobeyed? When he tries to take control of heaven, why wouldn't God just wipe him out? Wouldn't the world be in less difficulty and anguish and trial if God had just taken care of that issue in the first place and killed his enemy, Satan? Well, those are all good questions, and we can find some good answers in the Bible. In fact, when you go to the Bible, we're able to piece... Well, some kind of a, we can call it a prehistory of Satan. I'm going to take you to Ezekiel chapter 28. And down in verse 12, we read the following. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. So here in this text, we have a being that is being described as the anointed cherub who covers. This was an angel anointed for a special task. The picture of him walking back and forth in the midst of a fiery stone suggests someone who existed very near the glory of God, near the brilliance of the Holy One. 
But something happened. Something went horribly wrong to this wonderful angel. The Bible says unrighteousness was found in him. Some texts say iniquity was found in him. This being allowed sin to enter his life. Well, how? What kind of sin? And what kind of sin could possibly enter paradise? Let's go back to Ezekiel 28, verse 17. It says, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. See what it says? It says, This angel became wrapped up in his own splendor, mesmerized by his own beauty. Now, let's just think this through for a minute. There's nothing wrong with you or I appreciating our own talents and our abilities. Nothing wrong with having self-confidence. Nothing wrong with feeling good about yourself. But how did this angel described here cross the line? How did he cross the line from a sense of self-worth to unrighteousness? And how was his wisdom corrupted? Well, we can get another clue in the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 14, uh, beginning at verse 12. Here we read, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the Most High. See what it says here? It says, Lucifer, a created being, wanted to raise his throne above the throne of God and be like God, be like the Most High. How could this be? A created being wanted to become as the Creator and sit on the Creator's throne. So why did Lucifer rebel and become the devil? Well, he thought he could become God, sit on God's throne. Now, in spite of the fact that it was Christ who created him and gave him everything, including freedom of choice and a position as the leading cherubim at the throne with great authority. You see, Lucifer was the most exalted created being in the universe. He should have been grateful and known that the one who created him was the creator and not a created being. And a creature can never become the creator. Yet Lucifer sought to be the creator. So blind is pride. So sin, rebellion against God, had its roots in self-exaltation or self-dependence. Lucifer knew that he was dependent on Christ for his life, yet he said, I will be independent. 
Lucifer's rebellion was not public at first. It started in his mind. Well, in fact, that's where all sin begins. Sin, it's not just the outward act, it's the inward thought. You see, Lucifer was already becoming Satan, but in his mind. He mulled over the position of Christ and he became jealous. He wanted the throne of the one who had given him his throne. The more he thought on this, the more he hated Christ. Now, the Hebrew word, interestingly enough, for unrighteousness is uh, rekula, meaning trading or peddling, which in this case, I think, refers to gossip. So you see, here Satan begins to spread gossip about God amongst the other angels. This cosmic controversy, if you will, spread with gossip, slandering the character of God as being unjust, a tyrant. Satan claimed that he would be a better choice to run heaven's government. And his influence permeated heaven like a cancer. In fact, according to Revelation 12:4, one-third of the angels, one-third, succumbed to his deception and decided to cast their lot with Satan. Well, after Satan was cast out of heaven, he shifted his focus to planet Earth. His focus now would be to cause the human race to also rebel against God. Well, Satan knew God had given him all his creatures, both angelic and human, freedom of choice. It was the wrong exercise of this freedom that led Lucifer and his angels to rebel. Well, now he was going to use exactly the same technique with our first parents. Adam and Eve, made in the image of God, they were free beings. They could converse with God, and God expected them to serve and to obey Him freely out of their love for Him. Well, once again, the wrong exercise of freedom, but this time on the part of Adam and Eve, led them, well, and with them, all humanity, to become subjects of sin and Satan. Well, God knew that freedom is risky, but the fearful risk was worth it. For at the end of history, all created beings will choose freely to follow Christ forever. So God warned Adam and Eve that they would die if they would eat of the forbidden fruit. The Bible says that Satan, in the form of a serpent, told Eve in Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve doubts the word of her creator and accepts the word of her tempter. So, Adam and Eve 
sinned, and as such, through them, sin entered the world. And all humanity fell prey to sin and its effects. Consequently, Satan now, he pretended to be master of this earth. As the prince and the god of this world, Satan claimed the human race as his. But the Bible says that Christ came to this world to win back the lost world. In the book of Job, we're introduced to this sort of cosmic United Nations where the atoms of different worlds, they come together for this cosmic council. These representatives come by virtue of the fact that they are leaders of a world. Christ created each of these worlds and each of these atoms, also called sons of God. Job chapter 1 and verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Each has dominion over their world as Adam and Eve were given dominion over this world. But Adam and Eve lost their position, which because of their sin was usurped by Satan. And so Satan came. At this cosmic council, Christ asks Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. You see, here's a test case of one who freely followed Christ in this cosmic controversy. The book of Job unravels the drama that ensues, and one imagines that angels and inhabitants of all the worlds watched to see Job would remain faithful and true to Jesus Christ. So Jesus allows Satan to cause Job's family and his possessions to be taken through death and destruction. But rather than blame God, Job fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You see, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Well, at another meeting of the council... Christ asks Satan again about Job. Satan replies in Job chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came among them also to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Well, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. 
Well, again, Christ permits Satan to test Job. And through it all, the Bible says Job remained faithful to Christ and was commended by him, and he made him twice as prosperous as before. You see, Job is a type of all those who one day will be saved. Each one witnesses to the universe about God's justice. You see, in the trial and crucifixion of Jesus, we find the climax of this cosmic controversy going on between Satan and Christ. Properly understood, the destiny of the world hung in the balance at Gethsemane and at the cross. The temptations endured during these crises can only be glimpsed, never fully understood, amid the anguish and the shame of the crucifixion, carrying the crushing weight of the world's sins. The mob mocked and ridiculed the one who was hanging there for them. Was it worth it? Should he give up? Satan knew everything was at stake now. If Christ died triumphant, Satan would be doomed. But if he could make Christ come down from the cross or just sin once, his future was secure. But Calvary decided the controversy. Christ won the decisive victory. Satan knew he was defeated. He knew Christ's death meant that he would die, but Satan would not give up. He flung his full fury against the resurrected, ascended Christ. He would throw all his energy against Christ by attempting to make the cross of no avail whatsoever. You see, if the human race, if you and I neglect what happened that day on the cross, then it would be of no value to them, and Satan would still come out the winner. He would invest everything to make the cross of no effect to humans. I mean, look at what it says in Revelation 12, verse 11. It says, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb, the Bible says, is the weapon that overcomes Satan every time. You know, if you're watching me right now and you're wondering, why doesn't God do something about the sickness and the sin and the heartache and the pain in this desperate world? The answer is, he has done something. He has. In the gift of his Son. You see, Jesus can give us the ability to live triumphantly, even though we live in a world dominated by sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The reality is all of us at some point will have to make the big choice. We have to choose between two forces in this world. We have to choose between pride and love, between self-centeredness and serving God. We have to choose between opening our hearts 
and closing our hearts. We have to choose whose side we are really on. In every heart there is a throne. In every heart there is a battle for supremacy. In every heart there is a struggle for control. That war that began in heaven, it still goes on. It's a conflict that reaches into your heart and into mine. The battle lines don't always stand out clearly, but they're battle lines. Two forces are clashing. They lead in opposite directions. And we need to make an important choice, an all-important choice, of who will be supreme in our lives. Jesus is Lord today and forevermore. Is there a battle going on in your heart right now? Is there a conflict between good and evil within you? Would you like to say right now, Jesus, I want you to be victorious in my life. I want you to be Lord in my life. Jesus, you have never lost a battle yet with Satan, and I know that you will not lose the battle going on inside of me. I am the weakest person on earth. But today, I give my life to you. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the victory that is guaranteed in Jesus. Father, I pray for those within the reach of my voice right now. Those that are lifting a prayer to heaven saying, I want victory over Satan in my life. Father, may Jesus draw close to them. May the blood of the Lamb make them victorious. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have this tremendous resource to help you better understand this great controversy going on between Christ and Satan. It's a special edition of the Signs of the Times magazine called The Great Controversy. We want to send it to you. If you'd like a copy, here's the information you need to order one. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living Television website, www.l4ltv.com. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you wish, you could order this offer by calling our 1-800 number at 1-800-972-0337. Well, we've come to the end of another program. I want to thank you again for joining us. A couple of things before we go. I want to remind you of our Facebook page. Go on our Facebook page, like us. I put all of the programs on Facebook, and you can share those with your friends. You want to follow me on Twitter at Santos underscore Bill and our Lessons for Living television website, l4ltv.com. On the website, you can uh, send prayer requests, you can ask for the gift, you can make a donation if you feel so impressed to do so. Uh, you can also find out where I will be appearing live. And so, uh, anywhere in southern Ontario and all across Canada, the dates and locations will be there. You can see those. 
you can also see all of the previous programs and refer a friend. Well, I cherish these moments every week that I have to share the word with you. I hope we get a chance to do this again real soon. I'll be praying that God will bless you. See you again next time.